The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, so 2000, there's a man named Mike Godwin. Many of you do not know who he is. He came up with a theory that went something like this. Um, Given a conversation on social media, any conversation, given a time long enough, in the comments section, someone will call someone else Hitler for sure. That was his theory. So think about that. You could take uh, uh, pigs and teacups, right? Little baby pigs and teacups. Eventually, it will get to somebody calling someone Hitler. And Reddit went even further. They analyzed all of their comments in every one of their threads. And here's what they came up with. By the time 1,100 comments had been made on any thread, in fact, Godwin's principle had already taken place, and there was a 70% chance someone had called someone else Hitler. My question is, how on earth did we get to this? How did we get to this place? And, and we might think about it like this. Given the, the platforms that are out there today, the, the social media, the way in which now groups can um, have their voice be heard in a, in, a, in a larger way, maybe that's really what it is, right? It's been there all along, but, but we also sense, and I think this is a right thing to do, why does it matter to us? Wouldn't it be great if we could just go, it doesn't matter, I don't care. Um, can I just dismiss this topic of unity or is it something way more important than that? And, and I think that begins to hit home a little bit more, the idea that says something like this. Um, we feel it. Don't we feel that disunity? We feel that, that, that tearing uh, in, in the society that we have. We object to it. Something in our heart says this isn't right. And we want something different. We may not be able to understand what it is, but there's a part of our heart that desperately wants an idea of unity. And, and I think when we think about that, um, it makes me think about a couple things. We feel that dislocation. It's not just out there in the Twitter sphere, right? Let's bring this a little bit closer to home. We, we feel that in our families. You know, I'm married, you're, you might be married, you've got relationships, and when you feel disunity, it, it goes a little deeper, doesn't it? Sometimes if you're like me, it kind of, kind of eats at you for days or weeks, and you're saying, man, why can't, why can't we just see eye to eye? Maybe you're you're part of this church or another church, and, 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 and you bump into someone who has something that's different than you. You sense, this, we don't see eye to eye on something. And you can, f- excuse me, we can feel that disunity. Or, or maybe you're involved in your community or the city or politics, and, and heavens knows, you can feel that disunity out there as well. And I think what's interesting about that is it's begging the question I think that we all long for, which is the sermon topic we have, which is why can't we all just get along? Isn't that the longing of our hearts? There's a longing of our hearts to just get along. But once you begin to dig below that, the bigger question is how on earth do we get along? We're not gonna see eye to eye, so there must be something greater than that. And here's the great part about this. In the, over the next three weeks, we're gonna be addressing three topics. I'm gonna tell them to you now, and then we're gonna dive into the one we have today. The first one is how does the gospel you've been here to Sorority City long enough, that word is definitely familiar to you. How does the gospel impact our view, approach, and pursuit of unity? See those words? Our view, our approach, and our pursuit of unity. And then next week, I'll be back up here again, and we'll talk about how should we disagree. We're not so foolish to think through rose-colored glasses that we're all going to agree. So we do want to talk about the idea of how do we disagree, and then Matt's going to take us with the last one, which is how do our personal convictions or our consciences play a role in unity? 
But this week, we want to look at how the gospel impacts our view, approach, and pursuit of unity. In the public square, right, the, the idea of when we walk out of our house, we get, this, we get these voices that call us to unity, right? They're calling us to an ideal that says, agree with this, follow me, and they propose that into the world. Don't believe me? Here's what I've done. Here's 25 examples. You ready? Hold, fasten your seatbelt. This is going to be fun. Is global warming a hoax or the greatest crisis of our generation? Should we vaccinate our kids? As I recently saw, are you pro-evil pharmacy or pro-plague? I thought that was particularly witty. Should you homeschool, private school, public school your kids? What should be done about undocumented immigrants in the United States? How high should the wall be? Should there be a wall? What about amnesty? Should we eliminate guns or should we arm teachers in the classroom? What about the spiritual gifts described in the Bible? Are they current or are they past? What should our country's import tariff strategy be? I know most of you are staying up late at night thinking about that. What is the appropriate level of volume the band should be playing at during worship? Should we put Shepard and his drums in one of those plexiglass cages? <laughs> Sorry, Shepard, where is he? <laughs> what should be done about the death penalty? How should the church respond to, and I literally have blank in my, my notes, put in anything there. Um, what about the Me Too movement? Women's pay gaps, feminism, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter. Should Britain exit the EU? What, what shows are appropriate to watch? What music should I listen to? What acting roles are appropriate to take? Should I kiss someone who's not my spouse as an actor? What is the best burger joint in LA? What should be done with child abuse cases in the Catholic Church? Fake news, Wiki News, Julian Assange, reparations for slavery in the United States, reparations for Native Americans, racial reconciliation in the Evangelical Church. What should be done about homelessness? What do we believe about end times, evolution, creation, pro-life, pro-choice? Churches that can affirm same-sex versus traditional view of marriage. Nationalism versus racism versus white supremacy versus black power versus ethnic superiority. Let me keep going. We're not done. <laughs> what do we do with garbage in the ocean? Oil drilling in the Arctic. Is sex outside of marriage wrong? What about porn? Romance novels? Kissing? How far is too far to go? What about elders who say they're going to list 25 things and instead list 28? <laughs> That's where we are. <laughs> I think we suspect that we're going to need divine guidance. How on earth are we going to even, this is only 25, we could spend an hour. How on earth are we going to make through this? So I want to define a couple things real quick. What is unity? So here's how I define unity. I want you to kind of at least understand how I'm using these words. There's two words I'm going to define. Unity does not mean uniformity. If, if that's what it meant, then God did a horrible job because we certainly all don't look the same. And our personalities are not the same. And then here's the other one, diversity. Diversity is the God-given differences that we have across a spectrum. Skin color, ethnicity, culture, age, social status, marital status, interest. I'm using the broadest possible word for that. But here we go. We're going to turn to God's word. You're not going to get my wisdom on those topics. We're going to get God's word. So if you have a moment, turn with me to John 17, verse 22. should be on the screens behind us. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. It'll be up here. We also have Bibles out in the lobby, so you're welcome to get one of those. And I'm going to read this. Here we go. All right. The glory which you has given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one. Sensing unity already? Just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Here's what's interesting about this portion of scripture. There is literally three more sentences, I believe, 
before Jesus' ministry ends, and he begins to go to the cross. And so here's what's going on. Jesus is praying to God at the very end of his ministry, and he's asking God for the last things he's going to ask on earth. And this is literally one of the last things he asks. And what is he asking for? He's asking for unity for his followers. And I want to break this down into a couple things. First of all, um, the first point I want to make is that the gospel is the heart of unity. And we're going to break that down. Here we go. So Jesus refers to the concept of glory. Did you see that in that verse we had before? God, Jesus says, the glory which you have given to me, I have given to them. So what's this glory? And here's the reality. Glory just means an amazing, unbelievable achievement. And if you think about that, what Jesus is about to do is the glory that he's going after right now. He's saying the gospel is the glory that I am giving to my disciples. Do you hear that? And that is the center of unity. I want to read this section that I've written out here. I want to be, a couple times you're going to see me read stuff. I want to be really careful with what I'm wording today. I don't want to ad lib and unnecessarily offend anyone. So I want to read this section to you. Um, Jesus refers to the concept of glory, not only coming from God, but giving, given, being given to his followers. The glory that Jesus calls us to is the very thing he is about to accomplish. If you're new to Christianity or the church, the Bible says that our greatest need of unity is actually the unity between you and God. Our sin is is moral disobedience against God. And that tears the unity that God intended us for between him and himself. And it's even worse than that. It's it's not that it's just a disagreement and we can eventually patch this up. This This is a tearing that only God can put back together. And it's not cheap either. If you're part of the five-year-old Sunday school class that I occasionally teach, I'll I'll give you the same line I give them. It costs one life. To meld and fix this relationship costs one life. And that life is either going to be yours or it's going to be Christ's on the cross. And the wonderful part about this is here's Jesus praying for unity. And then he's literally going to the cross to die for those who are his children in order that that unity might be fixed. Do you see that? That's the glory that God is calling us to and that he's handing to Jesus. And so here's, here's this. But it doesn't just end there. God calls us to live for his glory and his kingdom, right? It's not just simply, okay, God, we're okay with each other now. We're neutral. You go your way, I'll go my way. That's not it. God calls us into his kingdom. He makes us his children. He makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the reality of our sins being paid um, sets us free from the guilt. And the gospel then becomes the theme of our oneness with God. And here's the, here's the, here's the sneaky part, our oneness with each other. And the gospel is jealous. It's not a bargain. The gospel not only changes our relationship with God, but also promises to change our will, desires, and love for building our own kingdoms where we get the glory. We are natural glory seekers. Do you hear that? We're natural kingdom builders. The gospel compels us to live under God's rule as king, propels us to give up our rights, die to self, and live for God. The gospel changes our priorities, desires, and puts our rights in perspective. God ends our kingdoms and invites us into his. And if you've ever been through some kingdom destruction in your life, it's both glorious and painful, is it not? So if you think about it, isn't personal kingdom building really at the heart of disunity? 
We're abandoning what God has called us to, and we're building our own kingdom. I'm going to read this next section to you as well. We want to be the kings when we're building our own kingdoms. We want to rule, we want to make the laws, and we want to administer justice. And we also want to hand out the punishments to find the enemies and gather an army to defeat those who oppose us. Isn't that really kingdom building there? It is. We've probably seen this play out in our relationships. We want something, somebody opposes us, and we go and we punish them for getting in the way of what we are wanting to accomplish. Or maybe it's in the church. We thought something should be done a certain way, and someone didn't agree. And at our worst, we fight, manipulate, gossip in order to get that. Or maybe you feel this in the political landscape. The legislation, the candidate, the public affair, the policy we are so hoping would accomplish doesn't happen. And we despair. But here's the good news. Here's the wonderful truth. God's kingdom is all-powerful. He hasn't lost control. He hasn't lost control. God points inward to our hearts and is honest with us about the seriousness of our need. He's also honest about the promise of the solution of Christ. And he brings us back to unity with him. What God is most interested in conquering is not the political wars around us. He's most interested in conquering our hearts and invites us into his kingdom so that we might live from there. Does that make sense? Do you follow that? Do you see why the gospel has to be the center of unity? It has to be the center of unity. And here's three quick applications, and then we'll jump on. We share the same glory. If you walked in here and you're like, I didn't walk in, Josh. I I spiritually limped in. Or maybe you were spiritually carried in. But you love God and you want to follow him. Guess what? You share the same glory that I share. The cross is flat. We're all the same at the cross. And here Jesus invites us into this glory. We share the same goals, not because we've conquered each other with our superior thinking, our our excellent meme game online, or the fact that we have been around in Christianity longer than anyone else. Yes, we have spiritual mothers and fathers, but that is not what conquered us. Christ conquered our hearts, and therefore we can then follow him. So here's my first point. Maybe unity for you And your desire to pursue unity and your quest for unity actually needs to start with unity with God. And and if you're not here and and you've never really thought about Christianity, I'm telling you that is where you need to start. Or maybe you've been around Christianity for a long time. Uh, Maybe you need to revisit that. How do we get our unity with God right and see his kingdom through his eyes before we begin to build kingdoms that don't actually line up to his? Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Second point we have here. The gospel calls us into unity with Christ and his followers. If you look at the passage we just read, there's a lot of they's and them's. That means not only are we called into unity with God as individuals, but he's calling us into unity with those who also follow him. I think I'd prefer just unity with me and God. I'm sure I'm not always easy to get along with. Sure, you're not always easy to get along with. I think that's the harder ask, isn't it? God says, I'm inviting you into my kingdom. Here's the rest of my children. I want you to be unified with them. So God, Jesus' prayer is for his disciples that they would have unity. This is what, what binds us together, is not individual ideals or philosophies. There's probably about a hundred and something of you here. That means there's a hundred and something different philosophies and th- thoughts and ideals 
on the way we do church or politics or ethnicity or denominations or even our theology. Jesus doesn't call us into uniformity on those things. He calls us into uniformity on the gospel and unity as we walk together. Can I read you one of the most convicting passages of scripture for me? It's a simple one. You've heard it before. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in your midst. It's from Matthew. It's Jesus again. You think, man, that doesn't sound convicting. Here's why it's convicting. Jesus is saying, his heart is exposed here, and he's saying, where where my followers are, I'm going to live right in the middle of them. I can do life with them. And if I've been honest with my own past, there there are folks who I know are following Jesus, and I'm like, I can't do life with them. Nope. Too many differences. I describe one person as walking, some, walking a porcupine to heaven was the way I referred to someone because they were so prickly and I felt like I was taking quills out of me every five minutes. And yet, and yet here Jesus says, I can do life with them. And it's humbling to think that if he can do life with them, who am I to say, I can't do life with you? You know, my standards are higher than God's. Does God care about truth? Yes, of course he does but he's willing to walk so well with many. God calls us to bear one another's burdens. And that is, sounds fun until we start having to carry them. Somebody said, it's, everyone wants to be thought of as a servant until someone treats you like one. <laughs> I'll bear your burdens. Well, that's heavy. I'm going to have to have to step away from that. We're going to talk about that more next time. How do we disagree? But being of the same kingdom and God's command to bear one another's burdens, we live out this kingdom. This is why we can and should care deeply for those within the kingdom. We see others hurting or carrying something heavy. It's not just optional. That is something God calls us to. It's part of our unity. It's not enough to be in God's kingdom. God calls us to care and for love for those who are in it. That's why we can mourn with those who are grieving the burning of black churches in the South last month or the shooting of unmarked black men in our urban cities, or the pain of abortion, or the sorrow of having HIV and contracted from drug use, or the loss of a spouse or family member, or the loss of jobs. Not because our bearing, and I want you to hear this carefully and gently, not because our bearing burden somehow is a strategic advantage to the cause in which we personally want to push forward. We're not moving chess pieces on the board of culture or church to advance our causes. We're not selectively carrying burdens because they either move our ideals forward or hinder our stance on something in the world. There's something more important than this. We're walking each other to heaven, as I mentioned, and that means we bear each other's burdens. And here's the reality of this. We may, we may need to rethink our approach to our speaking and listening to the way we do life. I'm speaking to me too. It may mean we need to listen more, talk less. It may mean we need to pause before we speak. It may mean that some of the culture wars we've engaged in need to be looked through a different lens. And the glory of the gospel needs to become the center of what we do. Josh, are you saying that injustice doesn't matter? Absolutely not. Truth doesn't matter. Truth does matter. But what I am saying is that when we place the gospel in the center of what we do, I'm confident 
that God will give us the wisdom, the grace, the perspective to navigate these issues we may inevitably find ourselves at odds with. I went to a church in Washington, D.C. It was three blocks from the Supreme Court building. The pastor there said something amazing, which I just stuck with me forever. He said to his church, he goes, I know that you love the gospel more than anything else because in reality, Monday through Friday, half of you are working to undo the legislation of the other half of this room. (laughs) And I said, I've seen you work together to push the gospel forward. And you have significant disagreements. And yet, I know that the gospel matters more than anything else. Does that make sense? The culture wars may be lost. Politics may get even crazier. But God still sits on his throne. And that should give us comfort to this. It's funny, when Jesus was walking on the earth, he deeply disappointed his followers. Deeply disappointed them. Because they thought Jesus was there to wage the war that they were battling at times. At Jesus' time, Caesar was the the king of this. So they were an occupied nation. They 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 were abused. They were taken advantage of. There was horrible things going on. And Caesar actually thought he was God and required people to worship him. That was Jesus' time. And Jesus' ministry was not about, you're right, how do we overthrow Caesar? How do, we, how, do we get, how do we get our policies into place? Jesus' ministry was about dying on the cross so that unity with God would allow us to live faithfully through now 2,000 years of a variety of different policies, um, different governments. And I think that's an amazing piece that that's what Jesus' heart was at. And here's my last point. The gospel is carried to the world through our unity. Here's what Jesus said at the end. To be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me, and listen to this, and love them even as you have been loved. Do you see that? He goes, Jesus says, your unity, the fact that you, Story City, are working towards unity means that those who don't know me are going to say, I don't understand that. There must be something that binds them together because they don't make sense as a church. We have enough in this room to tear us apart. We have enough. We have plenty of topics. And the world tribalizes. They group and they group and then they wage war. A church is different because we recognize we've been conquered by Christ. And by being conquered by him means that we can actually do life together where the world can't. It also means it's really hard. And so why does Jesus pray for unity? It's so that people can know. Is it so that people can know our amazing debating skills, our well-thought-out facts, our policies, our devastating mean game on Facebook, our gift of penmanship, our ability to preach or teach, our strength of our tribe, or how pure our theology is? No, our unity carries something way more important. It carries the love of God. Here's a thought. If we're pursuing what we believe is God's kingdom, but we're willing to sin in order to accomplish it, can I just say that's not kingdom building? And so I think we're going to talk about that more next week, but we can't do that. 
It can't be part of our heart. That's not the love of God. We're not saying, by all means, will we advance this. That's not what Jesus said. Bring the gospel. Share the gospel. And so here's what I want to do. Do you get why a healthy, diverse church preaches the gospel? By ourselves, we would not make a church at all. Look at all the differences we have. Ethnicity, views on secondary biblical matters, church upbringing, stages of life, socioeconomic status, personality, voting preferences, the fact that some of you are New York Yankees fans is significant for us to overlook. (laughs) So why on earth would we gather week after week, invite each other into our homes, invite each other into our lives, share our hurts, our wins, our losses, wrestle through hard questions together? There has to be something that glues us all together. And that's the gospel. Jesus says his love for us and our love for him and his invitation into his kingdom makes all the difference. He made us sons and daughters. So let me make this real for a minute. There's so many people here preaching the gospel day in and day out. If unity preaches the gospel, I want to thank a couple of these moments here, and I just want you to listen to this. Thank you to our African-American friends here for being so patient to teach and share the burden that you often have carried for generations sometimes. Thank you for allowing the church to sometimes not understand. You carry the gospel first, and you've done that so patiently. Thank you. Thank you to our singles who patiently wait for a spouse while you carry your longings. You put the gospel first, and you do such a good job of serving. Thank you for overlooking those insensitive comments. Why aren't you married already? Thank you for the married couples fighting, refusing to let disunity plant seeds in your heart. Thank you for putting the gospel first. Thank you for those who've shared. I've been clean or sober for weeks, days, months, or years. Your willingness to pursue God's kingdom and fight daily and hourly against your addiction shares the gospel. Thank you for those who struggle with depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. Your willingness to reject the lies of Satan and embrace God's truth in those dark moments is kingdom work. Thank you for those who are adopted, for allowing your story to be a representation of the gospel. Even though you might have a lifetime of questions in your heart, confident heaven will answer those. Thank you for patiently answering those awkward questions people tend to ask. Thank you for those who have shared what it's like to live for Christ as same-sex attracted. Thank you for putting up with some of the unkind and wrong attitudes by the church. I'm hoping we can walk with you better and do gospel work together. Thank you for those who have endured prejudice and hurt. Your willingness to breathe gospel back into those moments is life-giving. You have to teach me too. I'm anticipating the day when somebody tells my little Davy to go back to Mexico. You may have to bail me out of jail. (laughs) He's not even from Mexico. (laughs) Thank you to our friends with cancer, lifetime of health issues, and those who are dying. Thank you for doing it well. You're teaching me, when my time comes, how to do it well. Thank you for kids for honoring your parents, putting aside who sits in what seat in the car, You're preaching unity, and that's the gospel. Thank you for those who have endured sexual and physical abuse in your life. 
Thank you for showing that God's light is a comfort in dark places. Thank you for sharing your stories well, being willing to dig that back up sometimes and listen to others as they share theirs. Thank you for the single moms for living out the gospel reality that God is a good father. Do you guys see it? Do you see how unity plays an important role? It is the way in which we will pursue the gospel. And let me close with this one thought. Listen, I get that it's hard. We'll talk next week about how we disagree. I'm not looking for uniformity. Here's the other thought. What happens if it works? What happens if the gospel does go out? Through this door, people are going to come who are messy. And they're going to come and our ability to be unified, to demonstrate patience is going to be important. I want a messy church for the good reasons. The reasons that Jesus hung out with messy people is not because he was okay with lifestyles, but because he said, I want the gospel to go into them. And I want them to be changed, their heart to be changed, not their behaviors to be modified. And so we're going to ask for the same thing. I'm going to pray, and then we'll be done. God, we just thank you that Jesus prayed for unity for us, unity of the gospel, a unity that is far more important than the ideals that we often pursue. I pray that you would help us to be patient with each other. Help us to be slow to speak and quick to hear. Help us to be willing to bear each other's burdens. It's not just a token unity, but as a desire to truly care for those in your kingdom. Bless the rest of our day in your name.